This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Right, thank you. Good to see you today. God bless you, bless you, bless you. If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand up real high so we can get in the Word and get going here today. I believe God wants to speak to your heart again and set you free and help us. And so we'll get on the lines of Jezebel here in a minute in a little, little bit of a measure. Again, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to begin in the book of James, chapter 1. For all you that are taking notes, I'll be in James 1 and then Revelations 2 as we make our way through the Word of God. And so, again, within the church, dealing with sin has become spiritually incorrect. But when you begin to see what the Word of God says, man, we've got to deal with it because so many times we don't want to mention the confrontational aspects of the Word of God even though it's in there. It's right there in the Bible, and so if it's in the Bible, God probably wants us to talk about it. And so, uh, just just through studying, and you'll hear me reference this several times this morning, in the book of Revelations chapter 8, it used a word called wormwood. Wormwood, I mean wormwood, which means tragic sin, or the tragedy of sin. And you'll begin to see that take place, and so, again, why do we talk about the things of sin? Well, God himself hates it. God detested, not not the sinner, but the sin, because he knows sin has the ability to destroy. It has the ability to ruin. So I'm not here again to shame you, to guilt you. I'm not on a sin hunt at all. But I believe we really, really need to look at what the Word of God says pertaining to this. So we begin in James chapter 1, verse 14. But each one, it's every one of us right now, Each one is tempted when he is drawn away. And how is he drawn away? By his own desires and enticed. Now, enticement to sin or enticement to evil is not from God, okay? If you'll study that real closely again, he said it's birth from our own desires. Something happens on the inside of us. Verse 15. Then when that inward desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So you begin to see right there, within sin, there's a progression. And the end result of sin, if I don't repent and turn, is death. Verse 16. Do not be deceived. Do not be misled. Do not be thrown off course. My beloved brethren, my beloved brethren. So James right here, he is addressing the church or people that born again. Do not be deceived, brethren. So it's a strong warning for us as believers. Now we pick up, same chapter, verse number 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow or abundance of wickedness. The New International Version says moral faith, evil that is prevalent. Now this is is a strong warning and and we think back to what we ended with in, in verse 16. He says, do not be deceived, brethren. So he is addressing people that are born again and he's telling us here, Lay aside, get rid of all the filthiness. 
Keep reading. And receive with meekness, receive with humility the implanted Word of God. So when he talks about the implanted Word of God, that's the Word of God that begins to take root in my heart and your heart. And when I allow the implanted Word of God to take root within me, it changes my thinking and it changes my behavior. How many of you can contest that? I can tell you that's what's beginning to happen in our lives. That's what will take place with every one of us. But again, you see the significance of getting the Word of God on the inside of you. So he said, receive with meekness or humility the implanted Word of God, which is able to save your soul. So within the Word of God is life. Within the Word of God is power to save your soul. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. So again, it's one thing to hear the word of God, but it's another thing to do the word of God. And it's what I said a minute ago, when I begin to do the word of God, that's when I begin to see changes in my behavior and my actions. And he ends this verse and he says, hearers only, deceiving yourselves misleading yourselves, betraying yourselves. Now, this is the second time that he said that. And so, again, it's a strong warning that this can take place. So when you begin to look at this, a lot of times believers will say this, well, why does this matter? How does it matter? Why does it matter uh, if I live in a sinful way? I'm born again. I've confessed Jesus is Lord of my life. But why did he say for us to lay aside all this junk and begin to live with the Word of God? Because I believe James is saying, you're going to be misled. You better get ready because there's consequences for all my choices. Now, turn with me to the book of Revelations chapter 2. Revelations chapter 2. And as you're going to Revelations 2... In Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3, the Lord Jesus himself addresses seven different churches. Now what you begin to find out with these seven churches, he commends them for the things they're doing right. But he corrects and he confronts them with the things they're doing wrong. Now I want to highlight that because again, Jesus confronted them. He didn't just blow it off and say, it's okay. And so why I want to highlight what we're talking about here, I believe these, these letters to the churches, these are ongoing application for the church and for me and you. In other words, they're still a, a, a warning for every one of us in here. So we begin in verse 18 of Revelations 2. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, I write, these things says the Son of God. Now, if you'll note, these are red letter words. This is Jesus addressing this church, brethren, believers. And he says, who has eyes like a flame of fire? He sees right to the heart. And his feet are like fine brass. And when you see the fine brass, it's talking about his strength. He goes on to say, I know 
your works. I know your actions. I know what you're doing. Now what you're going to see here is he begins to commend them. He says, I know your works. I know your acts of love. I know your acts of service, faith, and your patience. He applauds them. And as for your works, the last are more important than the first. So you know what he just said? I've seen you grow. I've seen you improve. I've seen you advance. That's a word for every one of us. He ought to see our acts of love. He ought to see our acts of service. Your servanthood. Now think about this right here. If Jesus saw these believers' acts and what they were doing, he sees ours too. And I believe at times he really applauds us for the good things we're doing. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Now, when he says this, I have a few things against you, notice, Jesus didn't overlook it. Jesus didn't blow it off and say, you know, I got a few things against you, but it's not a big deal. No, Jesus confronts the issue. And he says, I've got a few things against you. Because you allow, you permit. The one translation I like the most, it says, but you tolerate. Now, again, last week we talked about this. In our society, there's, there's a, a point of tolerance and there's a point of truth. And right here he says, you tolerate... That woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Now when you read this, what he's talking about, most believe that this is just a name symbolically used for a false prophet that led people in spiritual and physical sin is what he's talking about. So when you see the wording there, I have this against you because you tolerate this woman named Jezebel there becomes a strong, strong warning in there. Jezebel was known as the most wicked woman on the earth. And it's interesting to me when I begin to look at this because this is a woman within the church who's given incredible influence, an incredible leadership position, incredible authority. But nowhere in this passage do I find Jesus where he was criticizing and saying, your, your mistake or your wrong was allowing her to speak. I can't find any of that in there. I never find one time in this where Jesus said to this church, you guys messed up royally because you allowed this woman in the pulpit. I never see it. And if that was a big deal, don't you think Jesus would have dealt with it? But that wasn't the issue. So what was the issue he had? Keep reading. She allow, or you allow her to teach and seduce my servants. So what Jesus had the, the uh, confrontation was, 
what this woman was teaching, and the word seducing means she was misleading his servants by what she was teaching. I can tell you this right now. The person that is teaching, the heart that's in them will normally influence the heart of the other people. In other words, if you were to hang around Apostle Paul, you would probably start acting like the Apostle Paul. If you hang around the Jezebels, you're going to probably act like the Jezebels. So he's really upset with what she was teaching, what she was preaching on, and what was it? She seduces my servants to commit sexual immorality. Wow. She's leading my servants within the church into sexual immorality. Now this was the Lord Jesus' own words here. And so she was promoting a behavior that the Bible calls sin. And so the reason I believe Jesus is dealing with it, number one, it's called sin. Number two, sexual immorality has the ability to destroy men, women, marriages, family, and even a church. And so, right here, the Lord Jesus himself, he calls it what it is. I want to throw this in. We better call things what Jesus calls them, regardless what culture or society embraces and improves of. Now again, we're talking within the church. So he deals with sexual immorality here and he says, you guys have tolerated this woman preaching on this junk. And they eat things that are sacrificed to idols. Now, I don't believe that we really have a problem with that in America as far as eating things that are sacrificed to idols. But do we do have a problem in America in just a thing called eating? We like to eat. I like to eat. I enjoy certain foods. I enjoy some foods really, 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 really a lot. And so I'm just telling you right here and now, Jesus is not against us eating, okay? So the problem here was any time we allow anything to substitute for God what only God's supposed to do in our lives, it becomes an idol. So when we look at something within this world to satisfy what God had, had, had been supposed to do for us, it's an idol. Now again, I like to eat. And so I told this in the first story, or the first service, one of my favorite places to eat, and you can't find it in Lubbock, but you can sure find it in Dallas. It's called the Cheesecake Factory. Woohoo! Pastor, don't tempt us. Now, when we go there, it is a taste bud fantasy land. Their menu is so big that they have it divided up into chapters. And if you've ever eaten there, when your hostess is getting ready to seat you, you walk by and you see what everybody else is eating and you look and say, oh my gosh, did you see what was on that? Did you see the portion? 
Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but we as human beings have a great ability to invoke spiritual things and heavenly things within our eating. Illustration, that ice cream's to die for. That cake is, is heavenly. It's so heavenly, we call it angel food. And sometimes we reference food as soul food. And so again, the Lord's not against us eating, but anything in my life that I have an obsession to, I better start watching out because anything that that becomes an obsession, it actually becomes an idol. And when something good becomes a God, it's an idol. So it's a thing called satisfaction. And again, that can be food, where I become so dominated by food. But let me tell you a couple other idols. TV can become an idol. I'm going to break your heart. That cell phone can become an idol. The internet can become an idol. Let me ask you this question. Are you obsessed with it? See, you can ask those questions because we can go around here and we say, Do you love Jesus? I love Jesus. I go to church on Sundays. But did you, do you just look at that cell phone one time a week too? <laughs> I'm talking to myself, okay? Do I allow sports to dominate me? See again, this is what he was getting over to here. And he began to deal with these things, these selfish pleasures of my life that take place instead of God. Hold your finger right there. Go to 2 Timothy 4. And I'm going to come right back to this same passage. 2 Timothy 4. And this was the Apostle Paul in his writing to a young pastor named Timothy. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. He says, I charge you. Now that word charge there is, is a word that's used in a testimony of court. So watch this verse because we're going to court. I charge you there before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and dead at his appearing and in his kingdom. So guess what? We're going to stand before the Lord. Every one of us. Verse 2. Paul's uh, exhortation to this guy named Timothy. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready. In season and out of season. Be ready when it's welcome or unwelcome, where it's convenient or inconvenient. And he says, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Now he said, you're to confront them. You're to teach them. But here's the deal. When I, I look at verse 2, it's like a bookend. He starts verse 2 and he says, preach the word. And he ends with verse 2 with teaching. That word teaching means careful instruction. So guess what he's saying? He's saying, Timothy, your job is not to be Jimmy Fallon. You're not hosting American Idol. You're to preach and you're to teach the word of God. You're not to entertain. You're not here to tell jokes. You're not here to laugh. This is very significant because everyone that you preach to is going to stand before God. 
Wow. Verse 3. For the time will come. Better stated, for the time has come. When they, the people within the church, will not endure sound doctrine. The word sound doctrine there means in line with the word of God. They will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Now again, James chapter 1 verse 14, he says it's our desires is what gets us in trouble. And so now the desires comes back up in here. So he says, they will not ensure down doctrine, but their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and those teachers will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So guess what he's telling us? The time has come when people would rather you tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. That's why it's very important that we stay with the Word of God. Back to Revelations 2. We pick back up in verse 21. Now watch this. And I gave her time to repent. This is what the Lord Jesus said about that woman named Jezebel. He said, I gave her time to repent. Two nuggets in there. Number one, the word time, it shows that God is very, very patient and God is long-suffering. But God does not overlook our sin. He said, I gave her time to repent. Now understand when you see that right there, he's telling us the way that we stop the flow of sin in our lives is we must repent. Don't view repentance as a negative. It's a blessing. Literally stated, we are to confess our sin and turn from it. So he said, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. Now, look right there what he just said. He didn't sugarcoat it. Jesus called it what it was. He said, I gave her time to repent of sexual immorality, and she did not repent. She wasn't willing to repent and turn from her wicked ways. And so now we begin to see something here. When we as people do not repent and turn, from the thing, or turn to God, turn from our wicked ways, listen real close. The consequences of sin is disastrous. Wormwood. Tragic. Now look what he says here in verse 22. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. The definition of sickbed is severe affliction or to suffer greatly. Think about this just for a second. This was happening within the church of Thyatira. This was happening with a leader of the church. But it doesn't end there. Watch this. And those who commit adultery with her. Those who act just like her. They will be put into great tribulation. Not just tribulation. He said great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. It doesn't sound like to me that he's blowing things off, does it? 
And to a degree, I hear his heart in this. It's like, repent, repent. This isn't what I want to happen. But unless you repent and turn from those things, this is what takes place. Verse 23. I will kill her children, all those that follow after her with death. And all the churches, and all the churches, and all the churches. He didn't say all the sinners. He said all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Well, pastor, I'm saved. I've confessed Jesus as Lord of my life. I didn't say that you had. But I better heed what the Word of God says right here. I better begin to look at this because the message says, I will x-ray every motive and we get everything that we deserve. And so if we were to continue to, to study the rest of this passage here, he encourages them, live by the Word of God to the end. Don't quit on the Word of God. Now, if that didn't matter, why did he bring it up? And it's interesting, to all seven churches that he wrote to, he said this to every one of them. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I can go around the room. Every one of you in here got ears. So the issue isn't whether we got an ear. The issue is whether do we heed it and do we hear it. So I begin to look at all this. And over and over in this passage, it cross-referenced me back into uh, Romans chapter 6. Go with me to Romans 6. And we'll end this here pretty quick. Another hour or two. <laughs> Pastor, you got a little ornery in you. I do. I do. So we go to Romans chapter 6. Watch how this plays out with what we just read. Verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So what he's saying here, there will be ones that will teach that the more we sin, the more we give God an opportunity to show His grace. But that, that, that's not the type of grace that Paul was talking about, Okay? And if you live that way that you believe grace is a license for you to sin, you better get ready. So watch his response to this. Verse 2. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer there in it? So he's saying don't go that way. I'm going to turn just to, for time's sake there. Go with me to verse number 11. Likewise, you also reckon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he begins this passage and he breaks it down. We have two choices. And you'll see this over and over again through this. I'm going to either live for sin or I'm going to live for God. There is no neutral ground. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign or control in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. In other words, what he's telling you, don't let sin dictate the way you live. I can tell you this, that's happened with me. 
Before I gave my heart to Jesus, sin told me how I was going to live. You know how I lived? As a sinner. But things change when you give your heart to Jesus. Verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments. Now I'm going to stop right there. He's going to describe this word instruments. Do not allow your members as instruments. That word instruments is better used as the word tool. So read it that way. He's saying it. And do not present your members as tools of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as tools of righteousness to God. Two choices. Tool of sin or tool of righteousness. Not, not, not one or the other, or not two, but just one or the other. I got a choice where I got to make right here. This is what he's talking about. Keep reading. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are no longer under the law, but you are under grace. And so when you begin to see what he's talking about right here, when when I live by grace, it's God's empowering me. It's God's helping me. So the two things I want to really be specific be specific about is it's my choice to repent and then how I learn to understand grace. Now I will throw this in here right now. A Christian isn't someone who never sins. A Christian is someone who's no longer a slave to sin. So you know what that makes us? We're all on on even ground in here. Every one of us. Every one of us are sinners saved by grace. And so when you begin to look at all this, grace isn't a license for me to sin. We don't need a license to sin. We do well enough without it. Grace is an empowerment on the inside of me to help me not to sin. So when you give your heart to Jesus, did you do that because you were such a good human being? No. You just did it by faith and trust that in Ephesians it said, you're saved by grace through faith. When I get born again, that same grace that helps me to be saved is the same grace that helps me to walk out the things of God. So I got I to stay with the, the grace of the living God. I welcome His grace on a daily basis. There there were years in my life, I can tell you this, where I was dominated by sin. Over and over, I I lived by sin. But when I gave my heart to Jesus, some things began to happen. And, And I began to think about this, that there was a stretch for two or three years that when I was sitting in, a, in an auditorium or a house of God or a temple like you, and there would be altar calls that would be given for two or three straight years, every time there an altar call, I would be one of the first to go down there. And the Lord was saying, it's a form of surrender. The more you surrender to me, 
the more you'll walk in the things of God. And so literally the word or the, the, the kingdom of God was beginning to purge me. And every time I would go down there, it was like the Lord was beginning to clip this off and that. And there were times he'd use these little snippers. And he'd cut a little bit here and here and there. And there were times it was like I heard a chainsaw. And I think, oh Lord. But the more I surrendered to him, the more the grace of God would come in. And so I would begin to say this out of my mouth. Father God, I ask you to grace my eyes. How many have ever had problems with your eyes? Okay, we're going to pray for liars after the church. Okay. I, I can raise my hand. Now let, let me tell you something. When, when I gave my heart to Jesus, the struggle in my eyes didn't just quit overnight. Well, it quit when you put on a title called pastor. Wrong. So I can tell you this to this day. I still have to have God to grace my eyes. How many have ever had crazy thoughts? Thank you, liar. I mean, good ones. So again, Father God, grace my thoughts. I, I, I don't want to walk in that. I don't want to live that way. And, and understand this, within the society we live in, Almost anywhere you go, your little eyeballs can get you in trouble. You may be going to the mall and be innocent going, and all of a sudden you see this little foo-foo on a poster at Victoria's Secret. And your mind begins to move, and you say, Pastor, I got a flesh and I got eyes. And I say, Father God, you got to grace me. Now, this is going to be free, okay? This little statement. Especially to you women. If you walk around and you dress and you show off half your rump, I'm going to tell you right now, God's going to hold you accountable. Because you did that purpose, purposely because you had the thought, I want those guys' little eyes to check me out. And if you walk somewhere and you pretend you're a Hooters girl, and you know what I'm talking about, I'm going to tell you, God's going to hold you accountable for that stuff. But that doesn't give me a license to say, well, just because that woman came walking in this, I can check it out. I'm telling you, that's the grace of God. That's where grace comes in. I say, Father God, I don't want to live that way. Before I got born again, it didn't bother me to live that way. That's what sinners do. I lettered in sin. I had a big letter jacket that said sin. See, that's what I mean. It doesn't mean we're not going to sin, but it's something happens where I'm no longer a slave to sin. And God's still working on the inside of me, and I'm glad that I can stand before you and be very truthful, okay? I'm telling you, it never ends. As long as you're on this earth, you're going to battle this thing called your flesh. Watch verse 23. This is what we'll end with. For the wages, the compensation, the ration, the stipend of sin is death. Woo! The currency for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So the currency for living for God is life. So you begin to see there, every one of us in this room, we have a choice. I can either live for sin or I can live by the gift of righteousness. Both of them have a, a, a wage or a stipend, a currency. One's death and one's life. Every one of us in this room, we have a choice. 
Which one I'm going to live for? The only one that I don't have a choice for is if you choose to live by sin, you cannot adjust the consequences of sin. Thank you for that one holy grunt. Thank you. So again, I have choices to make and you have choices to make. But when I begin to live by the things of God, things begin to to happen. There's a process of sin. The progression of sin is sin first is pleasing. Then it's easy. Then it's delightful. Then it's frequent. Then it's habitual. And the person then becomes a confirmed sinner who never repents. And the end is destruction, tragedy, and ruin. But the gift of righteousness, now listen to what that word gift means in the Greek, divine divine influence upon your heart and its reflection in your life. So now you begin to see the Word of God come to play here today. That's why we can't play around with this thing called sin. If Jesus calls things sin, then it's sin. Again, that becomes the definition. Jesus sets the tone. He sets the standard. So every one of us who comes in here today, we've got choices. To say, you know what, Lord, I ask for your help. I ask for your grace today. Grace me. Grace me. Now, this is what's happened in my life in, in the last couple of years. There's days I'll come in here. This is not magic potion, okay? It's just oil. But God talks about throughout the Bible, anoint yourself with oil. When you see the word anointing there, he's talking about a consecration or a purifying. Purify yourself by the anointing of oil. So this is what I do. I just come in here and I say, Lord Jesus, I I anoint my mind here. I know in my mind, grace my mind, Lord, that I think pure thoughts. Grace my eyes. Grace my eyes. I do this quite frankly. Grace me, Lord. Grace my eyes. I want to be godly in an ungodly world. You, you think I'm crazy doing that? Sometimes on my TV, how many of you are a, a channel surfer? I'm a channel surfer. I can go from 1 to 199 in seconds. Drives Shelly crazy. He who's got the remote's got the power. I got the power. I hate commercials. Hate them. So guess what? If I'm watching a ball game and a commercial comes on, we got to move to another ball game. But every now and then you begin to hit that little button and you get onto things on the TV and you look like, oh my gosh. I consecrate my TV. And I said, Lord, I don't, I don't want to look at stuff on that thing that causes me to think, to visualize, to imaginate anything that's not a you. Pastor, you anoint your TV? Yeah. Guess what? I got a flesh. And so as I begin to look at the Word of God in all this, something begins to work on the inside of me. I tell you, I I love when God begins to deal with my heart in areas. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.